Our first lesson today is from the Old Testament, Deuteronomy chapter 10, verses 12 to 19. And now, Israel, what does the Lord your God require of you but to fear the Lord your God, to walk in all His ways, to love Him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and to keep the commandments and statutes of the Lord, which I am commanding you today for your good? Behold, to the Lord your God belong heaven and the heaven of heavens, the earth with all that is in it. Yet the Lord set His love on your fathers and chose their offspring after them, you above all peoples, as you are this day. Circumcise therefore the foreskin of your heart and be no longer stubborn. For the Lord your God is God of gods and Lord of lords the great, the mighty, and the awesome God, who is not partial and takes no bribe. He executes justice for the fatherless and the widow, and loves the sojourner, giving him food and clothing. Love the sojourner, therefore, for you were sojourners in the land of Egypt. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Psalm 22, 22-31. to 31. I will declare your name to my brethren. In the midst of the congregation, I will praise you. Praise, praise the Lord, you did hear me. Magnify him, all you seed of Jacob, and fear him, all you seed of Israel. For he has not despised, despised nor abhorred the low estate of the poor. He has not hidden his face from him. But when he called unto him, he heard him. My praise is of you. The poor shall eat and be satisfied. Those who seek after the Lord shall praise him. May your hearts live forever. All the ends of the world shall remember and be turned unto the Lord, and all the families of the nations shall worship before him. For the kingdom is the Lord's, and he is the governor among the peoples. But my life shall be preserved in his sight, and my children shall worship him. They shall tell of the Lord to the generations to come. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit. The New Testament reading is from the letter of Paul to the Ephesians, chapter 6, verses 5 through 9. Bond servants, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart as you would Christ, not by the way of eye service as people pleasers, but as bond servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man, knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is a bondservant or is free. Masters, do the same to them and stop your threatening, 
knowing that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven, and that there is no partiality with him. The word of the Lord. The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to St. Matthew. Glory to you, Lord Christ. Then Peter came up and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? Jesus said to him, I do not say to you even seven times, but seventy-seven times. Therefore the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that they, he had in payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, have patience with me and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. But when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii, and seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me, and I will pay you. He refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed, and they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should you not have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Christ. We're continuing in our sermon series in Ephesians. Uh, if you brought a Bible today, open it up to Ephesians chapter 6, verses 5 through 9. If you didn't bring a Bible today, there are blue Bibles like this on the table in the back. You're welcome to grab one. And if you don't own a Bible, then one of those is yours to keep as our gift to you. This is the last in the three ways that Paul is addressing what's known as the household code or the, the way that people should live. And there was a secular version of this in the Roman world that, that all of the Ephesians would have been familiar with. And so what Paul is doing is what happens so often throughout the Bible that God's messengers will take something that people will already understand in their cultural context and then reinterpret that through the lens of the gospel. So prior to this, we had wives submit to your husbands in the same way that the church submits to Christ. Husbands, love your wives in the same way that Christ loves his church, sacrificing himself and laying his life down for her. Children, obey your parents in the same way that God has always instructed his people to live. Parents, teach your children to love the Lord in the same way that you yourselves were taught to love the Lord. So this is all kind of that in the same way language. And these are imperatives, these are commands, things that God tells us to do, 
based on indicatives, things that we are told that God has already done for us. We could never earn them. We could never merit them. And you don't even need to believe them to be true in order for them to have happened. So this is all do these things because of who God is and what he has done. So therefore, how should we live? And that's the question Paul's answering. So, servants and masters this week. A modern way of thinking about this might be employees and employers. And that's a really helpful way to think about it because for anyone that has a job, you either have a boss or a direct report or both. So it's a really helpful lens to look at this command through. But another way of thinking about this pair, and we need to touch on this before we get into it, another way of thinking about this, this pair might be slaves and masters. Because the word for servant and the word for slave are the exact same word. They're both the, the Greek word doulos. It, it's kind of, um, if you, it, it's the reverse of the Greek and English words for love. Remember a few weeks ago I said that English has one word for love, whereas Greek has four different words to talk about different kinds of love? Same here, but backwards. So uh, a, a doulos in Greek was someone who was in a position of clear subservience to somebody else. And in that world, it could be anything from someone voluntarily selling themselves as a bond servant for a period of time to work off a debt or because of some dynamic between two families. Or it could have been someone forced into a life of servanthood from being born into it or sentenced to slavery because of a crime, all the way up through a more brutal form of slavery common to most societies throughout human history, which is as the spoils of war. And then you just had these slaves. So, whether it was this arranged position of bond servanthood or, or something that someone had been born into or had been captured into, it all depends on the context because it's all just one word, doulos. And so it's translated here as bond servant, which is really kind of the, the nicer end of the spectrum. It could have just as easily been translated slave, and in some translations it is. But I'm actually glad that it isn't here because it is really hard for a modern American ear to hear slave and not immediately think of it only in terms of the African slave trade and colonial chattel slavery. And it, this is an important distinction to be made here. This is, this is a quote from one of my Old Testament professors in seminary. He said, it's crucially important to not read our context back into an ancient setting. When we hear slavery as 21st century Americans, we probably have a very specific image that comes into our head, the shame of American chattel slavery. But in the Old Testament, when Moses was talking about slavery, or in the New Testament, when Paul is talking about slavery, they are talking about something very different than we saw in Western chattel slavery. And this is crucial. The whole system of Western colonial slavery would have been a capital offense in Old Testament Israel because it was all based on kidnapping. And kidnapping, according to the Old Testament law, is a capital offense punishable by death. So what we think of as slavery and what the Bible thinks of as slavery are very different. And in fact, much of the Bible is much more concerned about how slaves can be allotted freedoms, not concerned about how to further exploit and economize them. So before we talk about what this passage is saying, I just want to take a minute to dispel some myths about what this passage isn't saying, because this is a very common passage that is cited as saying the Bible supports slavery. No, the Bible is not advocating for slavery anywhere. You can't look at the curse of Ham in the story of Noah and come up with a ridiculous justification for chattel slavery. You can't look at passages like this one here in Ephesians and come up with a justification for chattel slavery. 
Because you can't take something descriptive and make something prescriptive out of that. You can't take something that says, here's the way the world is, and come up with, here's how the world should be. So Paul is not advocating slavery. As N.T. Wright put it, Paul simply could no more imagine a world without slavery than we can imagine a world without electricity. So much of the way that our world works today depends on electricity, lights, and temperature control, refrigeration, medicine, computers. So many things that we take for granted, impossible without electricity. And in that same way, the Roman system, the Roman society, the Roman Empire of the New Testament would have been impossible to imagine without slaves taking a vital place in almost every Roman household except for the very poor. In fact, it's estimated that perhaps up to one-third of all the people in the Roman Empire were slaves. So, treatment of slaves and its legal regulation varied enormously in the ancient world from country to country and from owner to owner. Many slaves or servants were valued, respected, and maybe even became trusted family members. And many, many more were used and abused in every way imaginable by careless or inhumane masters. But it was simply part of the way the world worked. And, and in this area, at least, Paul is not saying, let's start from scratch and build a new society. He knows that everyone who calls on the name of Jesus will be liberated from every form of bondage and slavery in the world to come. But in a world where many, many Christians were slaves to non-Christian masters, it, it, it would have been fruitless to suggest instant emancipation and let's start over with a new society. So Paul recognizes the reality of, of this imperfect, fallen, broken world that we're all born into. Somewhere in the time between the fall of mankind in the Garden of Eden and the return of Christ when he restores and renews and makes all things new. And so in this world, Paul is much more interested in telling us how we are to live in the midst of a broken world and how to honor God in whatever circumstances you find yourself in. So bear in mind that Paul is writing this letter from prison. He's been imprisoned for something that he didn't do. He's been imprisoned on trumped-up charges. And yet, he is praising God and glorifying God for the, for the good things that God is doing in his creation. And so in that context, it becomes much easier to see how he is calling on all Christians, regardless of circumstance, to glorify God wherever we are, even if our context is one of oppression. So with that massive wind-up, there's two parallel commands that Paul gives on, on both sides of a relationship, just like he did with the other one. Wives and husbands, children and parents, and now servants and masters. And like the other two, Paul is turning the entire idea of a household structure and a functioning, a functioning way of doing things. He's turning it on its head by not only addressing the wives and the children and the servants, which was never done, but by actually addressing them first. So he says, bond servants, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart, as you would Jesus not by way of eye service as people pleasers, which basically means don't just do hard work when people are looking at you. Don't just work hard so that you can get the affections of people. But doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man, knowing that whatever good anyone does, he will receive back from the Lord, whether a bondservant or free. Now that's four verses, but it's basically just one long sentence because Paul loves a run-on sentence. And remember, this, all of it, everything that he's saying here goes back to the overriding command for the household of the people of God. From Ephesians 5, verse 21, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. So he's saying, servants, submit 
to your earthly masters out of reverence for your heavenly master. And don't do it for eye service. Don't do it to be people pleasers. Don't do it just to curry favor with your boss. Don't work hard only when you're going to get noticed. As I was thinking about this this week, I was remembering back when I was in college, I worked a warehouse job in the summer. It was for a a wholesale seafood company. We had gigantic warehouses full of frozen shrimp. We had huge tanks and tanks and tanks of lobsters. It was this massive complex. And I was a warehouse rat, as they called us. I was an order picker. You get handed a clipboard, and you go, and you grab the stuff for the order, and you help the driver load it on the truck. And then after you're done with that, you clean up, and you take in deliveries. I was a warehouse rat. And I wanted very much at that time, I very badly wanted to make as much money as I possibly could while putting in as little effort as I possibly could. And so I learned early on that if you have a warehouse job and you want people to think you're doing work without actually doing any work, all you have to do is get a clipboard and stuff a couple pieces of paper onto it and just wander back and forth. And you kind of, every once in a while, look down and furrow your brow and just look real serious and maybe, maybe stride a little faster than you normally would. And nobody will ever question you. And I spent hours wandering back and forth because I didn't feel like doing any work, but I still wanted to get paid. Smoke breaks, coffee breaks, couple laps around the parking lot, whatever you want to do. But, oh, but, but, when the supervisor comes around, you have never seen such a flurry of activity. And that wasn't just me. That was a lot of the guys there. We had, we had one guy who, I'll never forget this as long as I live, grumpy, gruff guy, didn't want to be talked to, We were doing an overnight one night. He and I were taking a break, and a truck pulled up that that we were expecting a very important delivery of live lobsters. And he pulled up a little bit early. Well, we were still taking our break. And so the guy started honking his horn because he wanted to be unloaded. And the guy that I was working with, big guy, walks out. He goes, hey, listen, how you doing? Uh, You honk that horn one more time. I'm going to pull you out of that cab and honk your head. And even that guy, who didn't want to be messed with and just wanted to be left alone to take his never-ending breaks in, in peace, as soon as the boss shows up, oh, just you couldn't stop this guy from working fast enough, and everything was, yes, Mr. Smith, and no, Mr. Smith. Why did we do that? It was because we were working for eye service. We were working to be people-pleasers, not people-pleasers in the way that we think of today, like just you know, being, being subservient and just debasing ourselves to try to make other people happy. But people-pleasers in the way of, I'm going to work hard so that I get noticed. I'm going to work hard so that I'll get what I want. Looking strictly to please an earthly master rather than a heavenly master. And that earthly master, in that case, was me. Looking to make this work relationship work best for me rather than actually actively looking to make it work best for the person I was working for. Verse 9, masters, this is a little confusing. Masters, do the same to them and stop your threatening, knowing that he who is both the master and yours, who is both their master and yours, is in heaven and there is no partiality with him. Uh, um, Do what the same to them? It says, masters, do do what the same to them? Well, Paul is saying, treat them with fairness. Submit to them. If the command to servants is not to try to pull one over on their masters by only working when someone's eye is on you, then he's saying, do the same to them, to masters, would be treat them fairly and equitably. 
If you follow the thread of what he's saying, Paul is saying to masters that as much as is possible, within the bounds of your relationship to them, to your subordinates, submit to them. That is, seek their good, honor, and respect them. The book of Philemon is a a great companion to these couple of verses right here. In Philemon, Paul writes to his friend and his fellow Christian Philemon, who is a master over the, the servant or slave, Onesimus, which means useful. Paul met Onesimus in prison. Onesimus uh, had gone to prison because he had stolen from Philemon and had fled. And so he ends up in prison. Onesimus becomes a Christian. And then Paul, after Onesimus is released, Paul sends him back to Philemon with this letter, what we know as the letter of Philemon. And in it, Paul urges the master, Philemon, to accept Onesimus back into his household, not as a servant or a slave, but as a brother. And Paul says that he will personally pay off any debt that Onesimus owes to Philemon. He goes on to tell Philemon that he could, if he wanted to, command Philemon to elevate Onesimus from slave to brother because Paul was the the founder of this church. He was the elder, and he was an apostle of Jesus Christ. But instead of commanding Philemon, he said that I'd rather appeal to Philemon's biblical worldview, if you will, appeal to his sense of Christian brotherhood. And so Paul basically is asking Philemon to live out the exact words that are here in Ephesians 6. And this command from Paul to servants and masters, the command from Paul to masters is to any Christian who is in a position of economic power over others, whether at home or in the workplace. I mean, I've had bosses who would adjust people's time cards, robbing them of hours to either save themselves some money or to make their numbers look prettier. I can't tell you the number of bosses I've had that would mess something up themselves and then blame it on a subordinate. And don't even get me started on the number of managers that I've had who would wield their position and their power to get women who are subordinate to them to pay attention to them, either out of fear or obligation or some kind of sense of messed up gratitude. And what is that if not the master seeking his own good instead of the good of his servants? Well, in the Roman world, the the head of household, the potter familius, could basically do whatever he wanted to do to a servant or a slave. So if you if you view it through the lens of that time and place, the idea of that Paul says, don't threaten them. Well, threatening them, treating them roughly, beating them, or worse wouldn't have even been worth commenting on because that's what you do with a slave. But Paul is saying that for those who trust in the promises of God, we don't see our actions through the cultural lens of our day. Paul reminds us that we do not live as the world lives, but we live as set-apart people, part of God's covenant family, to live by His code. Because with God, there is no partiality. He looks at the master and the slave alike because both of them bear his image. And for the Christian master and for the Christian servant, both are equally beloved of God. The idea that God uses equal weights and measures to judge everyone the same, the idea that God shows no partiality is a huge through line in Scripture. It means that no one is going to get special treatment because the size of their household or the success of their business or the vastness of their wealth. I mean, if anything, God goes out of his way in the other direction to show that he sides with the little guy. God cares for the widows and orphans and commands us to do the same. 
In Psalm 82, God, God commands his people to defend the cause of the weak and the fatherless, to uphold the rights of the poor and the destitute. And all of that stuff from the Old Testament flows right into this that Paul is saying, Masters, treat your servants with a sincere heart as you would Christ. Treat them as though you would treat Jesus. Because that servant is as much of an image bearer of God as you are. So as we conclude the, the last of these little three bits of Ephesians, what Paul has done here is he took this existing thing, the household code, and rather than just addressing the one power broker, the head of the family, he addressed everyone. So you have three relationships, husbands and wives, parents and children, servants and masters, all three of which are inherently imbalanced. Not there's not necessarily anything wrong with imbalanced relationships. I mean, as long as both sides act honorably. I have an imbalanced relationship with my boss. He can tell me what to do, and I can't tell him what to do. But in God's eyes, and this is crucial to remember, in God's eyes, everyone is an image bearer of God. And so by addressing people with different roles, but with the same inherent worth, Paul basically takes these imbalanced relationships and levels them out at the foot of the cross. He personally addressed wives who did not have a ton of power. He addressed children who had zero power. And he addressed slaves who were, they were slaves. Why would you talk to them? So he takes these imbalanced relationships and levels them out at the foot of the cross under the shared banner of submit to one another. He raises up the powerless and he shows the powerful how to use their role correctly in a way that honors God and seeks the good of others. And we submit to one another out of respect for King Jesus, out of reverence for Christ. Jesus was the suffering servant who bore the wrath of God for all our sins. The king who himself became a lowly servant, going through the ultimate submission. Leaving the glory of the heavenly throne room, God was actually born as a man, Jesus of Nazareth, taking on the role of a servant. And being found in human form, this is from Philippians 2, being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name that under the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So we submit to one another out of reverence for this King that we glorify. Because each of us, in God's eyes, each of us are wives, if you think about that power balance. Each of us are wives because we are all part of Christ's bride, the church. In God's eyes, each of us are children, because Jesus won for us the right to become adopted children of God and heirs of Christ. And in God's eyes, we are each of us servants of Christ or slaves of Christ, as Paul starts about half of his letters by calling himself a slave of Christ. So, no matter your position of power and influence in this world, you are a subject of King Jesus. How often... How often do I act? How often do you act like the servant in the parable that Jesus told today? The servant who is forgiven this unpayable debt that he could never in several lifetimes even come close to repaying. And yet, he goes and he beats his fellow servant for owing him pocket change. 
We are forgiven so much, and yet we, we lord our power over one another because we instantly forget how our King has lavished love on us and paid our unpayable debt. You are a beloved child of God and an heir with Christ to all of the glories of heaven. Shouldn't we be treating one another like that as well? And so in, in our dealings with one another, whether you're married or not, whether you're a parent or not, whether you are an employee or an employer or neither, in every situation, submit to one another in your role and in the interactions that God has been pleased to give you. Outdo one another in showing honor and deference and genuinely seek the good of the other above seeking your own good. And so I would challenge you, what are some ways that you might do that this week? And yeah, it's tiring to think in those terms. But nobody said it was going to be easy. The radical way that Christ calls us to live, he himself said that it was a narrow gate and a hard road. How strange will it look to those around us that we constantly put ourselves, even our subordinates, ahead of our own desires and our own interests, seeking their good rather than our own. What a powerful witness to the world about the confidence that we have with us in our crucified and risen Savior. Let's pray. God, we ask you to redeem our actions and our thoughts to craft our relationships more and more to look like how your kingdom will eventually one day look, that, that we might see a glimpse of how it will be when all of us are in Christ's presence with him as our light and we have perfect peace with you and among us. Make us careful stewards of the roles that you've given us, Lord. And give us energy, Lord, because... The way you call us to live can sometimes be a lot more tiring than going after what we want. We ask all these things in the name of your Son, the Servant King, Christ Jesus. Amen.